And if you've got a Bible, we're in John 12 for one last time. Uh, this chapter has been very, um, very uh, interesting to preach through. Um, uh, when I first set out to do this study through John, I didn't think that John 12 was going to be so pivotal and, uh, and such a transition chapter from, the, from one half to the other, but it is obviously the halfway point in the gospel. Um, and John really packs so much into this chapter, um, and, and there's, a, there's a complete, as we looked a few weeks ago, there's a clear contrast between the, the Jesus that we see in the beginning of John and the scene and, and, and just kind of the momentum around him and, and the message he's preaching and, and the one that comes in the last half of this book. And, and uh, last time we talked about the breadcrumbs, that are being uh, that are that are leading us to the seeds that are growing up into the kingdom of God. Um, I had a surprising, uh, uh, amazing time last time teaching through John. Um, the verses that we studied from uh, John 12, as uh, kind of took us into an Old Testament prophecy direction. We talked about how John 12 brought about the fulfillment of a vision that Daniel had, and we kind of went in deeper to that vision that Daniel had of the future um, and and the the table of nations and the outline for what it's going to be, uh, how everything's building up. To the, to, the, to the kingdom of God. I, I hate when people say that uh, one day the world's going to end or things are going to end because that's not true. Um, the, 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 this age may end and the way we live may end, but that's not a bad thing at all, right? I mean, if, if this can be good, then what's next is even better. Um, but this world's not going to end. Um, life's not going to end. Uh, life's going to get even better and continue to build towards something that uh, God has always willed it to be. So uh, when somebody says, hey, the world's going to end, correct them and say that's not going to happen. Um, because God has an amazing future uh, for this world, for us, for Christians, right? For, for believers, we will not die ever. Um, we will live forever and ever as a part of the amazing kingdom of God. And that's a reason to, uh, to shout and, and, and be encouraged. Uh, everything is building towards God's kingdom. We talked last time, every election, every event, every uh, big event, every incidental event, every devastating circumstance, all plays some sort of a role in laying the foundation, planting a seed, dropping a breadcrumb toward and in the direction of the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus said something in the scripture from last time um, that we'll look at again. He talks about how unless a seed is planted, we talked about seeds this morning, a little bit of different uh, analogy though. Unless a seed is planted, unless it dies, unless it's buried, it never will come to life to actually what it was always meant to be, right? Uh, the seed in of itself doesn't have uh, make much of a difference and doesn't really have life, but when it's buried and when it's cultivated, it actually can grow up into something um, glorious and something that it was uh, always meant to be. And, and, and when we don't bail out during the ups and downs of life, uh, we actually get the opportunity to see what God is doing and where God is going with us and with everything around us. Uh, and tonight, we're going to finish off John 12, uh, where Jesus is about to exit the stage. Um, he's about to exit stage left, as they say. Um, we mentioned a few weeks ago, um, and as I've said, John 12 is a pivotal chapter for John's story. Um, and to kind of break it down for you, uh, John 1 through 11, uh, we see that Jesus is on center stage. He is in the spotlight. It is clear that Jesus is a man sent from God. He is doing miracle after miracle, a sign after sign, bringing bread out, you know, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing this guy, raising up that girl. He is doing amazing things. He can't be stopped. He eventually raises up his one of his best friends from the grave. They all stand back a gasp. Who is this man? He must be the Messiah. They throw a parade for him, right? This is the one we've been waiting for. Um, and, and, and 
and then all of a sudden things just completely go in another direction. Um, John 12 opens up and we see Jesus is at around a table with his friends, um, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and, and, and the, the tone and, and really the, the atmosphere just changes for this book. Um, meanwhile, they're planning a parade uh, that seems to be the next logical step for the story. He's been all, doing all these miracles. He has uh, introduced himself as the bread of life, the water of life, the, 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 uh, the door, the, the good shepherd. Um, he has introduced himself as the son of God, the lamb of God, the word of God, the blessing from God. I mean, hey, this is the one we've been waiting for. Let's throw a parade for him. But Jesus says, y'all go ahead and pl- plan that parade. I got to have some time with my friends because I'm shifting my agenda. I'm shifting my focus. I'm headed behind the scenes from this chapter forward. Not that he's any less powerful, not that he's any less in charge, but the, the focus of the book just changes as it goes from being Jesus in the center with all the attention doing all these wonders to Jesus sitting around the table with his friends, talking to them, um, teaching them through the scriptures. And as we'll read, uh, not just tonight, but John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, especially some of the most important chapters that you can ever lay eyes on. And, and, and the word of God, all of it's good, but the words that Jesus speaks, literally 13 through uh, 17, is pretty much just Jesus talking. Um, so if you want to know who God is and you want to know what God's like, read John 13 through John 17 and read it again and read it again and read it again because that is the closest you'll get to the heart of God. Jesus is on words, pouring out God's heart and God's love and God's purpose for every one of us. But again, all that kind of begins with this chapter. Um, as these next few chapters follows Jesus out of the spotlight, behind the scenes, he's behind the scenes with his closest followers, walking them through what's about to happen. And we all know what's about to happen. Um, after 11 chapters of signs and wonders culminating with a parade in recognition that Jesus is the Messiah, he signaled a change in pace, a twist that was unexpected. The narrative shifts, and that's just, you know, obviously John is telling us what happened historically, but John's writing style and the way he's crafting the story, there's a clear change, there's a clear shift in the way the narrative is being told. Um, Again, the beginning of this gospel, it it seemed inevitable that Jesus was about to take over, but from chapter 12 on, it it seems inevitable that this planned takedown of Jesus is actually going to happen. Um, the, the plant, the, the, the little secret meeting that they had in John 11, the, the council members, they had, and they, we got to put a stop to this guy. What, that seems silly, right? Because how can we stop this guy who has all these thousands of people that are on his side that will go to war for him? And all of a sudden, they start falling away. All of a sudden, things begin to change, and the planned takedown of Jesus seems to be actually likely and actually becomes reality. Uh, but again, again, it's not because he wasn't who John 1 through 11 suggests he is. It's not because all of a sudden they, they find out, oh, he's not the bread of life. He's not the, the door to life. He's not the good shepherd. He's not the word of God made flesh. He's not the lamb of God. It's not because all of a sudden they say, hey, he lied to us, but rather it's because it was undeniable that he was indeed from God, that he was actually God. And that's what ultimately leads to this rebellion and this, this uh, plan to try to kill him and actually to actually kill him. But what we learned from John 12, especially, that was actually all a part of God's plan. None of this is a surprise. Jesus didn't see the, see the wanted posters and all of a sudden say, oh no, I'm afraid I better get out of the spotlight. I better hide. He was just preparing his disciples for what was about to happen because he's just four days away from being hung on a cross. Um, and, and they're just a week away from being having their worlds turned upside down, going from giving up to 
putting their faith back in Jesus in the span of a few days, they are about to go on a mission to change the world, and he had to get them in a private place and prepare them for what was about to happen. And luckily for us, we get to go, on that, go into that room with him in the upper room and hear all that stuff um, and get prepared ourselves. But he clues us in and how what he's about to go through is an amazing template for whatever we might face. So the good thing about the last part of John 12 is that as Jesus begins to tell them, hey, y'all, things are about to change. I'm about to take an exit. I'm about to go behind the scenes. But he lets us know. He clues them in on and he clues us in on what's about to happen to him can actually be an amazing template for whatever we face in our lives. Whatever you face, this is an amazing template to be able to overcome, be able to get through, and be able to find victory no matter what. So what I want to do is read verses 23, 24, and then skip to verse 27, and, and hear this in the context of what Jesus is talking about, his own death, his own suffering, and what he says, and what we can learn from it. Jesus answered and said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, glorified doesn't mean only, thing, only good things are going to happen to somebody. Glorified means God is going to work his purpose through Jesus. God is going to put Jesus at the center of it all and do what he's been planning to do from the very beginning. Anytime God is glorified in our lives, it doesn't have to mean that all things are good for us. It just means we're right where God wants us to be. And that's the good, the good news is, yeah, when things are good, we, want, we, 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 you know, we acknowledge, hey, God is getting glory through this because I'm blessed and I'm doing good for him and I'm bringing him attention. But even when things are not going good for you, that can still be an opportunity for God to be glorified. And that is some good news that we can have that hope in those trials. So Jesus says, now is the time for me to be glorified. And y'all think this is going to be me on the throne with everybody bowing before me right now. But that's actually not the case. And verse 24, he really just kind of shifts the narrative, and it, and it kind of just sucks the wind out of the room. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. So he's saying, hey, y'all, the glorification that God's going to do in me is I'm going to be killed. But that has to happen to bring about the life, not just in me but in everybody else that has followed me. Because y'all think y'all have gotten a taste of eternal life right now, just wait until the cross, just wait until the resurrection. And then Jesus says in verse 27, making it very clear, he's talking about himself. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, remove me or save me from this hour? God forbid. For this purpose I came to this hour. So Jesus is saying, hey y'all, that seed dying, I'm talking about me. And y'all can learn from this, but I'm talking about me. I'm about to be glorified. I'm about to glorify God. And the way it's going to happen is not what y'all would expect, not what I would have signed up for initially. I am going to go to a cross and die, bleed out for the sins of the world. I'm going to suffer hell for everybody. Everybody's deserving uh, judgment. I'm going to suffer all of the weight of God's wrath going to be poured out on one man. It's not what you would consider ideal for the Son of God, right? But Jesus says, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? You know, you would expect Jesus, you know, facing danger, he would just snap his fingers. He even says later on, I could call legions of angels to save me. It's not that God couldn't, it's that God isn't going to, going to because it's not what the plan is. So I'm not asking God to remove me. This is my purpose. This hour is the reason for which I was born. Which begs the question. Could it be that when we face trials, when we face problems, when we face the darkest 
of nights. Could that be a purpose from God? Could God want to use us in that moment to bring glory to himself and to ultimately make us a better person, make us more like him, make us more like Christ? Y'all know the answer to that, but absolutely that could be the case. Absolutely that is the case many times. Jesus acknowledges that his own soul is troubled. He's, now is my soul troubled. The, the, the Greek word there, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but the Greek word there um, is terasso. Terasso, and it means stirred up and unsettled. It, it means nervous, and y'all know what this feeling is, don't you? It, it, it means I'm sick on my stomach, right? It, it, it means I've got the butterflies, right? I've got this sick feeling. I could throw up, right, if you look at me the wrong way or if I move the wrong way. I am stirred up. I am unsettled. I don't know if I'm going to make it. But Jesus says this is not a moment to fear or dread, but the moment for which he was born. It's pretty big, isn't it? The moment when he felt the most nervous and the most unsettled and the most out of control is the moment for which he was born, his destiny. There are often moments in life when we come up against them, whether it's a challenge, a test, an opportunity, maybe something that you want but you don't know if it's going to go the way you thought it would go. I think this word terrasso would describe our emotions and our spirits. Our stomachs churn, we get butterflies, we get nervous, right? And that's an understatement. You can't really express it to describe how you feel, can you? And while I'm not stepping into a profession that, that, that I'm not uh, you know, educated or, or, or qualified to step into, I do want to say this. I believe this is very important. I believe this is God's Word talking to us tonight. It's easy to let our minds intimidate us and tell us that terrasso means we can't. That's natural, right? When you get that feeling in your stomach, right? When your soul is unsettled and nervous and worried and just overcome with fear and anxiety and dread, and that's real, right? It's not fake, right? It's not the devil, right? It's real. And it can be suffocating, can it? It can be debilitating. In our minds, because we're fallen creatures, our minds intimidate us and tell us that terrasso means you can't do it. Just give up. You're done. But what if, what if terrasso is just a signal from our spirit to our minds? We can't, but God can. That, that what if that unsettling that we get in our stomachs, that nervousness, that anxiety, that dread, that fear, what if that is just a signal from our spirit, from the spirit of God in us that has given us life? What if that is actually just a signal from our spirit to our minds, our fallen minds that cannot see the full picture? What if that feeling is just a signal from God, a signal from our spirit? Yeah, you can't, but God absolutely can. Hello? I mean, what if, what if that is what that is about? What if it isn't, this is the end, give up, you're done for, go ahead and just go ahead, call, you know, call in the, the, the dogs, it's over, right? What if it's actually God trying to say, yeah, you can't, but don't dwell on that too long, because I can't. What if we didn't let the stirring deter us, but rather steer us to our God-given destiny and purpose? I mean, what if, what if, and I'm not, I'm not talking about just big, you know, I'm about to face the cross and save the world kind of stuff. Jesus is talking about me and you in the most, the most small incidental moments or the biggest moments, whatever it is, because nothing's relative, right? It's all relative. Nothing is, is, is just, you know, insignificant to God. 
So whatever you're facing, big or small, people caring about it or noticing about it or not, what if this stirring that we all get, and maybe you get, over, get, maybe you get this stirring over silly things that you won't even tell people about it because you think they would just think you're just, you know, they would make fun of you. If you get it over something small or if you get it over something big, that's still the same thing, isn't it? To you, it's that stir that tells you you can't. But what if we didn't let it deter us, but rather steer us to God? When you face this challenge, this unknown, this fear, your emotions start to stir, don't hold your head down. I'm not saying that that isn't a real feeling, because it is. Don't hold your head down, but rather let's stare into the heavens where the one who went before us has already shown us that we can't, but God can. See, here's what I want to tell you now. Most people, when we talk about this kind of stuff, they go straight to the part where you should just have all the confidence in the world and you shouldn't ever worry. Listen, Jesus himself was stirred up and nervous. Right? So I'm not just jumping to the part where you ought to never worry, never be afraid, never be fearful. Jesus was where you're at. Jesus was where we're at, but he shows us how to overcome and how to move forward despite what we feel like. Now, we all know a very famous scripture, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, contrary to what that often gets you know, used for, that's not in refer, referring, nothing wrong with it. That's not referring to somebody who's already won every victory they could ever win, facing another challenge to win another victory on a ball field or in some sort of great, um, you know, high intense moments. Nothing wrong with quoting that scripture for the good times. But that scripture was written by a man strapped to the back of a Roman soldier facing death. And the Philippian church said, Paul, we're worried about you. We're worried about you giving up. We're worried about you calling quits. We're worried about you losing faith. Paul says, don't worry. I might be strapped to the back of a soldier. I might be looking through a little tiny four-by-five square in the ceiling, getting bread dropped to me once a day. I might be facing the death penalty, but I can do this through Christ. You hear that? I can face the death penalty through the strength of my God. Even though the world's trying to kill me, God's actually doing something for me and for the good of the kingdom. So don't worry about me. But this isn't Paul on a ball field, right, with eye black on, with Philippians on one side and 4.13 on the other, right? This is Paul in prison. This is not saying that we can do anything we want to do, but as a follower of God's will, as someone who is led by God and guided by God, heck, even if you're unaware that God, that, that, that what God is up to, but you believe God is sovereign or God is in charge, wherever life's taking you, you believe God's taking you there. And even if you just figure this out midstream, that's okay, right? Because you can choose to believe, hey, God's the one in charge. God brought me here. God let me get here. Philippians 4.13 says, when God says this is my or your or our purpose, and something in us says, I don't think so, I don't know about that, I don't think I'm going to make it, God says, just trust me. Just lean on me. I know what's going on. I won't fail you, and you can't fail either. That's what that verse is about. Your flesh, your spirit, or your emotions are saying, I can't. God's saying, I know you can't, but I can. And I'm not going to leave you hanging through this. So you've got to lean on me. I know you're without strength, but I'm going to give you strength. If God cannot fail, and our strength comes from him, logic says we can't fail. Right? That doesn't mean that we won't suffer. It doesn't mean we won't have problems. It doesn't mean things won't fall apart and everything else will be on fire. It doesn't mean things are never going to go wrong. It just means that you won't fail. You won't lose. 
you won't be forsaken. You won't lose your purpose. And the reason for all of it continues to be that God is getting glory. And that is enough to find strength and move forward with. We just need to tune into God, let God take charge over the narration in our lives. Because here's what's happening. A lot of us, our narr- the narrator, our minds, my mind, your mind, everybody's mind, our minds are falling, right? Not saying anything bad about you. It's not in your, you know, people say, well, it's in my genes, it's in my family. It's in all of our genes, right? We're all falling, right? Everybody's wired to, to worry and fail and, and, and give up. That's the enemy, right? We, we've, we've all got that. A lot of us, we're allowing, though, we're allowing fear and anxiety from our minds to narrate our lives and say, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. It's over. Give up. But what if we allowed God to start speaking in and narrate our lives and empower our souls? Do you think that could change the story? Because God is the one who's narrating our journeys. We can listen to His narration or not. But the reason why reading the Bible is so important, the reason why going to church is so important, the reason why studying and worshiping is so important, you give God access to your mind because your mind is going to tear you up and lock you up. But God, through His voice, will narrate your life and empower your soul and remind you that I am the one writing this story. It's not over. I want to remind you of the story of Joshua. Joshua stepped into the impossible shoes to fill of Moses. And Moses needs no introduction um, or explanation as to his greatness or his accomplishments. But you can imagine Joshua was pretty overwhelmed at stepping into Moses' place. Because Moses was the guy, right? Let my people go, Red Sea parting, calling all this amazing glories and wonders down from, from heaven. Joshua was a little bit overwhelmed. And I would be too. Joshua, here's the way that he was introduced to his new job. Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, this is before Moses dies, and out of all of Israel, be strong and courageous. Because I know you're not going to initially feel strong or courageous about this calling. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Joshua, this isn't an option for you. We're not having a vote for you. You're going to be put in this position. This is God doing it, and you're responsible for the rest of these people getting to where they want to go. You're going to have to lead them. If you don't lead them, nobody's going to lead them, and they're going to be lost, and everyone's going to lose. So Joshua, no pressure, but you have got to lead the nation into the promised land but don't worry God's going to be with you you'll do fine now Joshua was contrary to what we imagine the Bible the people in the Bible and the people that were in the history they're just like us right Joshua wasn't wearing a cape he didn't you know wasn't he wasn't you know fearless he was nervous he was scared to death so Moses dies and, and all of a sudden everybody's sitting around the camp thinking well, what's next and you know Joshua wasn't really jumping at the bit to say, let's go. So you'll hear that scripture repeated because God speaks to Joshua at the beginning of his story. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Have you heard, Joshua? (laughs) You know why I think God's being funny. Moses has been dead for a while. So, hey, it's time, Joshua. Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people into the land. And I'm I'm giving this to you, to the people of Israel. 
Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised. Joshua, every step you take, it is your destiny. It is your purpose. Everywhere you go, everywhere you find yourself, you are serving me. I've given this path for you to trod. Just as I promised to Moses, I've made a promise to you. From the wilderness of the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now here's the thing. That doesn't mean it's going to be without any problems, all peace, all milk and honey, no war. It was, you read the book of Joshua and Judges, it was a nightmare. But what is God reminding Joshua before it even starts? Joshua, nobody can take this away from you. I've already ordained it. I've already prepared it. Your purpose, your destiny is to fill this role, to walk in this calling. It's yours. Even though something inside of you tells you that you can't do it, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Here's what God's telling Joshua. Joshua, I know you're worried. Are you going to be able to do it like Moses did it? Let me just tell you the secret. Moses was weak. He wanted to quit five times. He asked me to kill him once. Read Numbers 12. He begged me to kill him. I wouldn't. This is the guy that saw the glory of God, right, and did all those amazing things. He begged God to end his life because he couldn't take it anymore. Joshua, Moses' secret wasn't that he was so wise or so strong or so fearless. He was a nervous wreck. But you know what his secret was? I was with him. And I'm going to be with you too. I won't leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Be strong and courageous for your call, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And listen to this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it. Now, you know what the book of the law was? It was Moses' own writings. It was the one and only original copy of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There was one copy, and you know who had it? Joshua. God said to Joshua, I know you're hearing this narrator in your head saying, you can't, you can't, you can't. You've got the one and only book of the Word of God. Don't underestimate what my voice can do to your story. Meditate on it day and night if you have to, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll be prosperous. Then you will have good success. Again, success not monetary or financially or professionally, being obedient, being faithful, staying on track, not giving up. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Notice how God kept repeating that. Because Joshua needed to hear it. Guess what? We, you, I need to hear that. Because we've got enough voices in our heads that are telling us the opposite don't we? And if you go one day or one night without hearing this voice from God, you will be frightened, you will be dismayed, you will not be strong, and you will not be courageous. But that doesn't mean God won't be with you. And it doesn't mean at any time God can't step into your story and change your story. Don't let anybody intimidate you, Joshua. Don't let your own mind intimidate you. 
Every step you take is where God wants to use you. Nothing is enemy territory. It's all kingdom land, all for kingdom purpose. The strength and power that Moses had, you will have. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you. And I know I'm just little old me in the middle of nowhere. You know, who am I? Joshua was such a, you know, he was the leader of Israel. I know what Tarasso is because I deal with it every day. I especially deal with it on Sundays. It starts at 4.30 a.m. Now, I'm not nervous about my lack of the, I don't have a nerve or fear that I won't be able to do this because this isn't my ability in the first place. God gave it to me. And I'm not good, or I hope, I don't know if I'm bad, but I'm just somewhere in the middle. But I'm nervous because my mind exerts and says to me, Justin, based on your strength and your knowledge, this might go wrong. Based on your ability or inability to lead, this might not go well. Look at your track record. But my spirit says, with God's help, this can't go wrong. You didn't get into this on your own. I get stirred up because, no doubt, someone is going to get upset. Someone is not going to be happy. Not everybody's going to be happy. But I just have to lean into God's truth and power and know that the stirring within me doesn't have to deter me, but it can steer me, and God can be with me, and He will be. As God has been with my predecessors, He will always be with me. I tell you all this because, no doubt, a lot of different things can stir up and unsettle our spirits, right? But God's saying to us, don't let your mind's fear of defeat choke out your spirit's confidence in victory. Because your mind is afraid of losing, and it will choke out the confidence of victory in a minute. It might just be getting through a tough day at work. It might be getting through a difficult season of life. It might be getting through a challenge in your family. Whatever you're dealing with emotionally, relationally, any avenue of life, if you're trusting in God and His Word, He has a plan for victory in front of you. You can't run from the challenge, challenging scenario or season, so that's not an option. Because it'll chase you down and chew you up and spit you out if you try to run from it. God's going to give you the ability to run through it, though. When you find yourself on the precipice of this challenge and your mind and emotions are telling you that you can't, listen up. God is going to give you four powerful words. Four powerful words that you can speak that have the potential to free you from fear and disability and empower you to follow your God-given purpose in that moment. Four words God is wanting to put on your lips tonight. They're found in verse 28. This is Jesus' response to this stirring. Father, glorify your name. Those are four words that can change everything about your situation. When fear and dread, anxiety and disbelief, when you are about to give up, these four words can change your direction. I promise you that. They change me. They give me strength. When I use them, when I, when I call upon God like this, I never see them fail. These four words, Father, as in, hey, I'm not just some nobody in the middle of a bunch of nobodies. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the God of the universe. So, Daddy, if this is really how this relationship works, I need it now more than ever. Father, 
glorify your name. So I'm giving you permission, God. I'm in the middle of this. I'm, I'm about to give up. My spirit says quit. I can't make it. I'm in the middle of a storm. Father, I want to activate your, your purpose, my destiny. Glorify your name. I want to bail out right now, but that's not what God wants me. That's not what you want from me, God. God, Father, glorify your name. This is your moment. This is my moment. This is what I was born for. Any given situation you find yourself in, give God the permission. Activate his ability to change the story. The challenge, the season, the purpose, it's from God. Say to God, hey, it's from you, it's for you. It may, I may be weak, but y'all know the rest. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Listen, this is about what Jesus was about to face. But he says to you and he says to me, this is also for our own good and our own potential. He says, therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said, as they heard God Jesus speak and the Father speak back, heard this thunder, and others said, it's an angel that has spoken to him. Jesus says, this voice did not come because of me, but it came for your sake. So he's saying, hey, this is not, I'm not doing this just so y'all can say, ooh, ah, oh, look at Jesus. I'm doing this so y'all can understand when you're in a similar situation, you know what to do. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. I'm giving y'all the pathway to victory. The enemy has been disarmed. The Savior has been lifted up. What excuse do we have to live in defeat? This doesn't mean there won't be difficult circumstances. It doesn't mean there won't be tough times. It means there won't be impossible, devastating losses. Even if we, they look like losses, even assumed losses can actually mean some kind of victory because case in point, Jesus' death on the cross was no loss at all, but rather the beginning of infinite victories for God, His kingdom, and His children. That includes you. That includes me. Jesus encourages us to walk in this power, verse 35. A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. Who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in this light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Many heard him that day, and they scoffed at these things, supposing there could never be purpose and pain, victory through valleys. Many refused to give him the credit for being able to overcome the fear that drove so many, that was leading many to actually try to plot to stop him to protect themselves. But Jesus assures us with his closing thoughts in this chapter that if we trust in him, we will not be disappointed and never be put to shame. Listen to verse 44 as Jesus cries out, you know, he's crying out to me and you. He who believes in me believes not in me or me only, but in him who sent me. I've given you direct connection to God. He who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not, be, not abide in darkness. He's saying, guys, I don't want to leave y'all in the dark. I don't want to leave y'all in the, in the captivity of your minds. I don't want to leave y'all in defeat. I know I'm going to a cross, but it isn't the end. And whatever you face isn't the end. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. He said, I'm not condemning you for having tough times. 
or having a difficult time believing, I didn't come to judge, I came to save. I'm telling you this not to condemn you or bag on you for losing your grip or for giving up. I'm giving you this to help you, to save you. He rejects me and does not receive my words as that which judges him as in it condemns us in itself. The word I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave who sent me gave me a command that I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I should speak it. I can't believe many people rejected Jesus. Why would they? He had to offer, all that he continues to offer is only and always good. He is light. He is salvation. He is our victory. Verse 50 is so unique. He says that the Father's command is everlasting life, that we would find and live in everlasting life. If we don't walk in his light, in his saving power, in his victory, then we miss out on experiencing eternal, abundant, and true life right now. That's what's at stake. That's why he wants you to see this victory tonight, tomorrow. Every day that you face these challenges, Jesus has said, use this light. Receive my life. It can change the way everything goes. So remember those four words. When you feel like your back's against the wall, when your mind is trying to trap you in some loss, Father, Glorify your name. God, you are not out of control. You are not off the throne. This is in your hand and in your will, and I am in your victorious plan. So I'm saying no to my mind. I'm saying no to this story that is being written by the enemy. I'm saying yes to your story, and I'm speaking your voice, and I'm allowing your voice to come into my scenario and come into my circumstances, to come into this season and give me this victory, to give me everlasting life. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for this refreshing reminder of what you can do and what you've done before and what you want to do for us. God, I, I need, God, I need this. This is, this is something I'm so thankful you've given to me. And Lord, as the church has heard me preach this, I, I'm so passionate about it because I have to go over this with myself all the time. Lord, that terrasso spirit, that stirring, that unsettling, everybody faces it. Lord, I've felt it all day today. I don't know what I was afraid of, what I was worried about. Every Sunday, it seems like it comes and it dominates me, Lord. And I allow my mind to tell me it's not going to work or is it going to happen or you can't do it. But, and of course I can't. But God, you can. Lord, somebody here tomorrow, they're going to face this terrasso. They're going to face this stirring. They're going to face this anxiety. Tomorrow, they're going to face it tomorrow night, whether it's at work, at home. Maybe they're going to get a phone call or get some reports or get some news, and it's just awful. We live in a world that if you watch the news for more than 10 minutes, this terrasso spirit takes over everybody. But God, I want to ask you tonight, I say with the people tonight, Father, we want you to glorify your name. We're not going to listen to the message of defeat. We're going to listen to the message of victory because we believe you've got something good and you're not done and we're not alone. Father, I love you. I pray that you would speak this power into somebody's heart tonight that needs it so badly. Thank you for your victory. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for everlasting life. 
We'll give you praise and honor forever and ever for it. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen.